Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand for Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, June 25th, 2023, and it is the night of Forbidden Door. Forbidden Door has not happened yet. It will happen tonight. I hope that I leave the building tonight in a good mood. I heard last week, though, after this podcast, that one of the two of you, Chris Gullo or Jesse Collins, one of the two of you left this podcast in a bad mood. Chris Gullo, can you, can you confirm that? Uh, the, the, that was not me. If it was me, I would have confronted you, Brandon. Well, by mood. process of elimination, that leaves only Jesse Collins, who, who must have left last week's podcast in a bad mood. Is that true? Not only did I leave the podcast in a bad mood, like the first thing I did was tell some of my other friends in wrestling media that I was in a bad mood. Yes. Okay. Well, that, well, that, that settles that. Um, and we are, okay. So I'm going to record this. It's like, it's obviously we're doing this for people watching live. I'm going to record this. I'm going to edit this and then I'm going to drive to Toronto and, uh, I'm going to try to make an appearance at the forbidden poor, which is, um, just across the venue being hosted by post wrestling and poison Rana. Um, and this is in fact, the last time that WrestleNomics Radio will be heard on the post-wrestling podcast feed. Um, and because starting July 9th, so this is, this is, this is June, June 25th, and this is free for everybody on all channels. But, uh, next week it will still be free because that's going to be the first podcast of the month. It'll be July 2nd. And it'll, this podcast, WrestleNomics Radio, will still be free on the WrestleNomics Radio podcast feed and the WrestleNomics Radio YouTube channel. But then starting July 9th, the only way to listen to this podcast every single week is to be a subscriber uh, at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, or if you prefer, WrestleNomics.com slash subscribe. Uh, and this will be every week, it will be free, it will not be free, every week it will be on the WrestleNomics Patreon audio feed for audio only, just like you, you listen to other stuff. If you're a subscriber, you have your own podcast feed as part of the Patreon and it will be available as a video too. We'll make it like an unlisted link. So you will still be seeing the video every week if that's what you want to see. Um, and it will be free once a month only. But if you're a subscriber, you also get access to the TV ratings analysis that I do for just about every major wrestling show, the news updates that I've been writing twice a week, the viewership spreadsheet with thousands and thousands of data points, the monthly reports that I've been putting out on YouTube, on Google Trends, on match counts, and you get access to the slides that are a part of this podcast as well. The Pollock and Thurston podcast will still be free every week on the WrestleNomics radio feed, on the post-wrestling feed, on the YouTube channels, so that continues to be free every week. Just this last week, we talked to Dave Meltzer just hours after the AW Collision rating came out, so that is out there for free for everybody if you haven't listened to it already. Today, if you want to participate with the Super Chat, and have your question or comment read and answered, you're encouraged to do so if you're listening today live on YouTube. So, the AEW Collision rating came out. 0.33. I think, dude, I, I should have gone back and 
wrote down what our predictions were. Do you, either of you remember what your predictions were for this podcast or for this, uh, for yeah. this rate? <laughs> Mine was 0. 0.20. So yeah, they, they, 0. <laughs> Jesse, what did you predict? If I recall correctly, I think I, I think I said 775,000 viewers and I know I said a 0. 0.27. 0. 0.27. Yeah. So I went slightly lower than a typical dynamite. I think I, oh, I do have it written down here on this post note. In fact, um, yeah, Gold said 0. 0.20. Jesse said 0. 0.27. I said 0. 0.30. We were all low. I was the closest. I mean, I did a, a poll. We got a new poll. We're going to talk about that one. But I did a poll for this episode asking people, what do you, what do you think the rating is going to be? Everybody thought it was going to be way lower than what it was. Um, very small minority thought it was going to be in the range of what it was. 0. 0.33. 0. 0.33. I figured it was probably going to do what a dynamite rating does. This can do in the range of what a dynamite rating does for the first one. Uh, and it did even you know, sort of slightly better than that, although the Dynamite this week did exactly the same PT-49 rating. In, number in, total view, in, in total viewers, it was a little bit lower than a, uh, a typical Dynamite, but was younger skewing. Right. As it's going to be, I think. You know, this it's going to get lower and it's going to get older. This the, the median age was 45, I believe, which is under what any wrestling show is really doing right now. Um, so the percentage, which is, I mean, when we talk about the, we can talk about the percentage of viewers in the demo who are watching as a, as a percentage of all viewers, because obviously the linear TV viewership in general just tends to be older. So we can talk about the percentage of viewers, but that is highly correlated with whatever the median age is. Um, but, but anyway, I mean, that's, that's what, we, what we saw early on in Rampage, for sure. I, I don't have median age data for like the early Dynamites, but I'm sure that's what was happening with the early Dynamites. Just the disproportionate relative to usual, the disproportionate young viewers who are gathering and tuning in and making sure that they're, they're seeing these early episodes, the stuff that's important. It, it, that's, that's what's really happening for these, I don't know, newsworthy, highly anticipated events. Um, and as things get more run of the mill, the viewership I expect will get a lot older. Um, but number three among cable originals, um, outranked by, I believe what UFC and the college world series on ESPN, um, but this, was, uh, I have to say this was a, a good rating better than I was expecting. Again, I was, I was expecting, I was predicting a 0. 0.30 and it did better than that. Um, again, this is not last night's, this is not the, the second episode of collision, but the very first episode of collision. Um, we have quarter hours here. I don't think there's surprises here in the quarter hours. I think there's a slight surprise in that the demo for the promo was lower than the demo for the match. So this show opened with the CM Punk promo talking about one bill fill counterfeit bucks and all that stuff. And that did 440,000 viewers in the demo main event though, did 468, 467,000 viewers in the demo. So slightly above, it's not like, so I, I mean, I, I was sort of thinking the promo is going to be more anticipated than the match, but and we did see the inverse in total viewership for what that's worth. Maybe there's a little bit of inheritance for whatever I think it was a movie on right before. Maybe there's a little bit of inheritance of older viewership at the beginning that's sort of distorting that view of the of the uh, the first quarter hour, which did 168,000, and then ended with 134,000. So beginning higher in total viewership than than the end. I guess I, what I think when we look at these quarter hours, both in this case and for Dynamite in general, is that the demo is giving us a more honest look at what what the what the interest is in the in these quarter hours you know what i mean like because i think there's more distortions and misleading data in the total viewership which is disproportionately coming from obviously older viewers and 
and there's there's more external effects that I think are affecting those people, including most of, most of all the lead in. In any case, the match had a lot of interest relative to, to the promo, which is slightly surprising to me. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I agree in the sense of, and you know, the eighteen to forty nine number even popping back up for the you know Andrade versus Buddy Matthews match and the kind of stuff at the eight forty five um, quarter is I don't know if that's interesting, but going from 390, you know, viewers in the uh, 18 to 49 to 441 is pretty sizable for, for that for that quarter hour, right? Usually it's the 9 o'clock quarter hour that would tend to go up, but it seems like, I don't know if it's people earlier um, than normal kind of tuning into the collision, but I thought that's kind of notable. Um, yeah, I would imagine the promo would be the most interesting aspect of um, CM Punk's return, but obviously people were interested in the match, and I think that at least from Collision last week, Punk is presented in a way that nobody else in AEW is presented. And it's much more similar to how WWE presents its few like chosen talent, whether that's Cody Rhodes or Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins in the sense of they're going to have two, a minimum of two quarter hours really built around them, right? They're going to come out and they're going to do a promo at the start of the show. And then they're going to be in the main event later tonight. And I think that has been beneficial in establishing those names as big stars that fans view as being important and the things that they're doing as important. I think it's done wonders for Cody Rhodes um, using him like that. And AEW doesn't use anyone else like that. MJF maybe sometimes, but really it's like they have one segment and that's it. And if Collision is going to be the punk show and punk is going to be the really main driving force for interest in the show – the fact that they're using them in a similar way to, to, I think, WWE uses its top stars is notable. And I think it's a more effective way. And it gives, we know that CM Punk is the biggest star in AEW. And I think this is uh, just kind of hammering home that they view him as a different level star than anyone else in AEW. Cause he's presented in this specific way, in a way that even someone like a Kenny Omega is not. I mean, the, the, the structure of this show in terms of how it was laid out, it opened with live promo. I mean, last night's collision did not do that. Yes, I know they did the Saturday night main event style cold open promo, but it was not a have a big star come out, get in the ring and talk for 10 to 15 minutes. Um, that's what the first collision was. I mean, this is something that WWE does a lot in, in how they structure shows, especially in the Vince, Vince McMahon era, maybe less so since Vince has been less involved, although we know he was quite involved this past week. Um, but that's it's definitely a pattern of WWE to you got to got to set the table pal and and then have a main event with that same star or set of stars was it advertised yeah. like that CM Punk was going to lead off the show with a promo yes well, you okay. will hear from CM Punk was av- was advertised okay. on the dynamite prior all right yeah and i don't necessarily think it has to, it has to be like a structure from you have to start with the promo and then end with the main event i just think it's the way you present two separate quarter hours based built around one guy basically i know the main event is other people wrestling but it's punk anchoring kind of two separate quarter hours as opposed to okay here's a 20 minute window and this is when we're going to do you know the elite stuff and oh here's another 15 minute window that's when chris jericho is going to do his segment that's kind of the extent of what you hear from people as opposed to wwe they tend to sprinkle in their top stars more throughout the show i think that's how collision is using punk i do think that collision from a like a layout standpoint, it's going to look very similar to Dynamite. Uh, I can already see like uh, the partisan narrative between people who have picked a side between the Elite versus CM Punk and um, 
you know, dynamite versus collision. And Which side people are going to argue that, oh, collision. Well, people are going to argue collision so different because, you know, supposedly punk has a creative role in it. And it's like collision is going to be a different show because it's the punk show and it's going to look very different than dynamite. It's going to appeal to different fans. To me, they're, they're the same show because they're being run by the same person and Tony Khan. But we'll see, you know, as we get more data from week to week, if there really is any significant difference between the two shows. I will say from having watched both collisions and, you know, I, I pay attention to Dynamite. I usually have it on mute. Uh, but I think it's it's a relief for my personal taste to watch an AEW show that's not littered with backstage segments where people are constantly interrupting each other. There's less of that on, on Collision so far, two episodes in. There's less like somebody's backstage for a promo. Oh, wait, they get interrupted because you got to set it, got to do an angle for every single match thus making all angles feel all the more meaningless. But anyway, um, the numbers. So I, I, I'm trying to figure out, you know, trying to think about what's the, the second collision going to do. Second collision has happened. We don't know what the rating is. <clears throat> I'm sure there's, there are there are fast nationals out there in the media industry that are being looked at this morning, but not 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 this this media industry, not the wrestling media. Um, so to try to predict what the second collision might do, I looked at what did the second dynamite do? What did the third rampage do, which was after the second rampage, which was the CM Punk debut? Um, and the answer is the second dynamite was down 28% from the first one. The second ramp, the third rampage was down 36%. From from the, uh, the the second I'm sorry the third rampage was down 36 percent from the second rampage, so if this second collision was down 36 percent, it would put this this second collision at 522 thousand viewers. It would put it at around a 0.21 uh, P1849 rating. So I think that's probably too hard. That's I don't my vibes. That's why we have the vibe slide here. My vibe, my my vibe meter tells me, I don't think we're going to see as precipitous a fall for the second collision as we did for the sec the third rampage, um, in part because the debut of Punk was such a big deal, the return of Punk it was a big deal, but it's not certainly not the peak that that moment was, right? So I think. I don't know. I put out the poll here. Um, I guess I, f I feel like jumping to this right now. But I put out the poll here, and, and the plurality of people think that the 1849 rating for the second collision is going to be somewhere in between 0.26 and 0.29. And I think I agree with that. Does that sound right? I agree with it as well, although I'm weary of the historical undershooting of these polls that I should be probably... It's going to be even better then. ...or higher. I don't know if it's going to be better, but it seems like people are universally pessimistic in terms of AEW business. I don't think it's going to be a point three zero or higher, though, which is the next option. I, I don't. That seems unrealistic, right? It seems like 0. 0.6, 0. 0.26 to 0. 0.29 seems right. I guess the argument for it to be higher would be, uh, is there less of a novelty factor? Like the first Dynamite, right? Huge novelty factor, right? People tune in just to see what... what, what this was going to be like that. Be the first, or I guess the second rampage, right? Massive novelty factor. CM Punk to wrestle almost a decade. Uh, okay, the novelty factor was it's a new show for AEW. CM Punk is coming back, and he kind of had a controversial. He was pretty controversial, 
but probably less of a novelty factor than either the debut Dynamite or CM Punk's return to pro wrestling um, for the second episode of Rampage. So in that sense, you could tell me that Collision has maybe a more stable uh, debut that could be repeated for episode two. I would also add that you do have the, there was the, you know, a go home show for Forbidden Door. I think that there's some momentum there. There's some extra interest that you wouldn't see in maybe a more typical episode of Dynamite or Collision. Obviously, the Dynamite rating this past week was very good. Um, there's some more momentum for the promotion. Uh, the feeling could be followed up on. Um, you know, what CM Punk said during his promo during Collision, I think, was the talk of, of, wrestling in a lot of cases and stuff, you know, he said the line about counterfeit bucks and things like people would be interested in tuning in and seeing what he's going to do this week. Um, that's all the case for the rating to be very similar. I, again, I see 0.26 to 0.29 seems right, but historically people have kind of undershot, uh, what AEW is capable of doing. So 0.30 seems unrealistic, but I can't say I'd be super duper shocked if they hit it again. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, the, the big question is what this show does a couple months from now on average, what's delivering on a consistent basis. Um, just look at what the competition was on Saturday night briefly. Um, it's not that strong. I mean, we, there's USFL f- football on NBC last night. There's baseball uh, on Fox. There's more men's college world series and not that much else to speak of here. Um, if we look at what was, most of the what was the baseball game? Most of the country is getting Houston Astros versus LA Dodgers. Some of the country getting Minnesota Twins versus Detroit Tigers. Um, so I don't see that as huge competition uh, on the media call, which we'll talk about more. But I do want to touch on the, the so there was a little bit of ratings talk on the media call with Tony Khan on Thursday, where he was being asked, you know, what. I think I have it in the notes here. Uh, he did. He said, "I do know that past performance in the time slot would be a good comp." So the, you know the the question is what's a, what's a good enough rating for dynamite? And Tony is saying, well, compare it to what that time slot normally does. And I read that to mean it's got to do better than that. Um, so what does that time slot normally do? I think the primary primary thing to to compare it to is not the sports in the time slot, uh, which it's going to be preempted for, which have which has been everything from. NBA conference finals between the Celtics and the heat. I forget how that one ended where that did 8.7 million viewers did a point. It did a 2.96, 1849 rating, huge rating. It's not going to do anything near that. And that's why collision is going to be preempted by NBA, by NHL Stanley cup finals, which are going to deliver better than collision is going to deliver. Uh, there's a little bit of college basketball in here during March Madness, there's even some soccer here, which maybe it wouldn't be preempted for because it only did a one, only did a 0.15. I don't know, though. Could still see soccer pushing collision out. Uh, but anyway, all-star game. There, all these... There all was, these. There was soccer last night, too. I don't believe the game was until... I think it started at 10 p.m. Was it on after collision? Because there was... Uh, I don't know was, what network it was on. They were it playing Rush Hour right after Jamaica. collision last night. Um so anyway, what I what I want to ask is, so what what normally airs when there's not special occasion sports here? Well, it's movies, and do we have any data for what those movies deliver at eight o'clock on Saturday night? We have a few. So through Spoiler TV, it used to be ratings, Ryan, but now it's Spoiler TV. We do get the weekly top two hundred reruns. So we don't have every single rerun to look at here, but we do have those that have finished in the weekly top two hundred. 
So, so far this year, there are three instances of Saturday night, 8 o'clock movies on TNT that finished in the weekly top 200. We have three instances of that. What did they do? In the demo, they did a point one two, or they did a point one three. So that's the basement for what this show... If the show does not deliver better than that, it's bad news, I would think. Uh, it's got to deliver better than that. So that's what I think is... That's the bar that they have to clear by a decent margin. Um, that's pretty low, realistically, because if we look at like what Rampage does at 10 o'clock on a Friday night... They do a, um, a little bit less in the, in the key demo, most, but right around that number in the key demo. And you would think that Collision, which is airing in prime time as opposed to at 10 p.m., and has clearly more star power and are dedicated towards it, at least at first, should be able to, it should definitely be clearing out, you know, a point one two. And those are kind of outliers too for a movie, right? And most of the weeks it doesn't hit that, you know, point two point one two. It doesn't hit in the top two hundred. I would think it's the case that. Usually, if if we had every data point of what the movies are doing on Saturday night in prime time, it's on average probably a little bit less than this even. Um, because um, unless the weeks that it didn't make it are are just elevated across the board in the top two hundred, you know, but that that's likely not the case. I could look and you know sort of verify that, but I, I did not look. But it's probably going to be this or a little bit lower, right? Um, so so I was doing some thinking last night, and by the way, if if you hate ratings talk, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but if you hate ratings talk um, and you think it's totally pointless and inconsequential, again, I don't know why you're listening to this, this podcast, but this is, this is more consequential ratings news this week and the weeks to come than, than really at almost any time. It's, it's, it's on that level. The, the most important and crucial time for, for ratings numbers that I think are meaningful, this, this is up there with the best of them. Um, because wherever this show settles and I get, and I, you know, I, I totally grant that week one, week two, don't tell us a lot. It tells us what the peak is that it's going to fall down from. But the big story is in terms of economics is where collision ends up. What does collision deliver on a regular basis? Because what collision delivers on a regular basis, if I'm a WBD executive, I'm going to weigh heavily into how I negotiate with AEW for the next TV rights deal. Because what, so I'm, so I'm doing a bunch of math here and basically weighing out how various pessimistic, moderate, and optimistic outcomes could weigh into how AEW's TV rights fees are valued. So these TV rights fees are going to be valued by ratings, but also by time spent. How much viewer time is AEW helping WBD deliver? Um, and we do the math, and we, we come out to, you know, it's either going to be something like 70 million hours on an annual basis, 78 million hours on an annual basis, or 84 million hours on an annual basis. And this is extrapolated from the, the rating. So the three scenarios I've got here is, let's say, collision ends up, delivering on a regular basis by like September, October, December, delivering about a 0.14. That would be pretty bad, right? Because that's only at the level of the movies, just slightly above what the movies are doing. That would be pretty bad, <laughs> I think. Uh, and then I, I did a more, what I consider to be a more moderate uh, outcome, which is where Collision is delivering on a regular basis a 0 0.20 in the demo, 0 0.20. And then I have a more optimistic outcome where they're delivering a 0.24. So I don't think 
that that would exceed my expectations if it's doing a 0.24. I think that's on the high end of the realm of possibility. So let's call that the optimistic outcome. And the moderate outcome, 0.20, and the pessimistic outcome of 0.14. And then we can extrapolate from that three additional scenarios for each case where you've got a, a pessimistic multiplier on their TV rights fees, a moderate multiplier, and an optimistic multiplier. Basically, that's just uh, the pessimistic outcome is that on a viewer per hour basis, WBD says, we're only going to pay you exactly to the rate that we're paying you now, which is about a dollar per viewer hour. Um, I'm going to assume that AEW is now getting about $75 million on an annual basis for the additional collision uh, as a weekly program. We know that they were getting about $44 million on an annual basis. Um, I've said at least 70. So let's say it's now about 75. So if collision doesn't do that well, they're, they're not going to get a raise perhaps, or they're going to get a very small raise perhaps. Uh, but if it's, you know, sort of this moderate outcome, you can, I can see them getting as much as $168 million on an average annual basis. Um, or if the multiplier is really nice, 180, um, and then we have on the really high end here values over $200 million average annual basis, which over the course of five years will be over a billion dollars, one bill fill. So what I'm saying here is where this rating ends up has um, ramifications in the tens of millions of dollars and over the course of many years, hundreds of millions of dollars. There's, there's a, a, a wide spectrum of possible outcomes here that could help AEW make hundreds of millions of dollars a year, or could result in them not making that much more money on an annual basis than they are currently. So this is meaningful wrestling ratings discourse. Are you suggesting that there's non-meaningful ratings, wrestling ratings discourse? (sighs) Not as meaningful as this. This is more meaningful. I mean, like what, because there's so much unknown here, I guess nobody has, good reason to have a strong opinion about what this show is going to deliver on a regular basis. It's really going to be determined by how important this show is and feels to viewers and how, how much people are, are really tuning in. There's a, a a lot of unknown and and a lot of impressions with viewers that have to be made here. And now is the, the time these next few months before we hit the fall is the time when collision is probably going to stand to do the best from a competition standpoint. Hmm. You know, outside of baseball, there's really not going to be any live sports competition most Saturdays running head to head. When the fall hits, you'll end up with college football, which I think is going to be a totally different ball game for collision. That's, you know, a ratings monster. It's going to be very difficult for collision if they're running head to head against prime time college football games on, on ESPN or even the CBS game spilling into that window. Um, so, and that, and that's a critical time. In, 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 if we talk about like, Ratings discourse that's probably not meaningless or is probably is meaningless. The 0.33 rating, the debut rating that collision is now going to be consistently compared to forever. If it doesn't hit the 0.33, people wonder what happened to the 860,000. Yeah, but those, those people don't matter. We're, we're talking about things that matter. Right. But I'm way. putting out like in the sense of even your optimistic number here is a 0.24, which would be yes. significantly less than that. And will they be maintaining a 0.24? Like what time period are we talking about this? Are we talking about over the next two or three months before we hit college football season? Are I we guess talking I, about the end of the year? Pract- practically speaking, at whatever point a TV deal is being agreed to, which could be any, any time between, I would say, late summer and 
I don't know, in the middle of next year. Right. And logically, the people at Warner Bros. Discovery would anticipate the rating to be lower during college football season when you're facing that level of competition, the same way that everyone kind of expects that Monday Night Raw's ratings go down during Monday Night Football season. And it's not necessarily held against them. And people aren't necessarily running for cover thinking, oh, my God, what's going wrong when it's something that happens every year? And you could probably anticipate that happening for Collision as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's you, you expect college football to be on every Saturday night during football season. It, it um, will be. On, it's not a particularly long. Right. It's not a particularly ESPN long. as well. Yes. There can be two I games going on at once. I believe so. ESPN or ABC typically will have the big, you know, matchup that will air on Saturday nights. There, it might have been changed because I know the SEC deal is is expiring, but I'm not sure if it kicks in this year. Typically, the biggest game is also like a four o'clock or three thirty game on CBS, which could conceivably, um, if it starts, maybe I don't know if it starts a little later or goes into overtime, could spill into the collision window as well, um, perhaps. Um, but the other thing about college football is that it is really not a particularly long. Uh, season in the sense of we're talking about maybe like 13 weeks, you know, from late August through mid-November, realistically, as like providing competition. So it's really only a few handful of months. But I expect the collision rating to really be impacted by that because that is a a level of head-to-head sports competition that they're not going to face really at any other time except for, you know, the the NFL games that start rolling out on Saturday, which, again, will also be a factor uh, in the winter months. Yeah. for a few weeks. So I, I, I guess the the point that I'm trying to make is, you know, we we know what dynamite is delivering. It may slide here or there, it may may rise here and there, mm-hmm. but we know it's going to deliver for now somewhere between like a 0.26 and a 0.34 or something like that. And that it's going to deliver in that range on a regular basis. It may diminish over time with the 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 weakness of, of linear TV, but we know what it's going to deliver. We kind of know what rampage is delivering at this point, but what, what collision is, is, is a black box. And we're going to discover that over the, over the course of the next few months, what it, what it's really capable of. Um, and that's going to be hugely determinative to what the value of AW programming is, because we kind of know what dynamite's value is. We kind of know what rampage's value is, which is a lot less, but we don't know, what the value of collision is. And if, if you're WBD, it makes a lot of sense for, for it not to be true that you already committed to a TV deal with the addition of collision, because you don't know what the value that it's capable of delivering is. You're going to know what it is after a few months here, or maybe you can kind of assume what it's going to be even at, at that point, based on what you expect the hit from college football to be. Um, so, and, and same for WWE, it, at least in the case of Raw and SmackDown, we kind of know what Raw and SmackDown are doing. They're doing better than they were last year, but we kind of know where they're going to land. NXT is being souped up here to do better ratings than it, than it's done before, um, but we have a general base. We know as as a base what that show is going to do. Just the unknown with within a much wider range, I would say. Do we know what what Collision is going to do at this point? Um, and we will learn, and with with great excitement what the numbers will be as the weeks move on. So um, moving on again, if you want to do a super chat or a comment, feel free to, if you're watching and listening live on YouTube, um, dynamite 
this week did the same rating as Collision. 0.33 in the demo did 900 and a lot more more viewers in total. Older viewers by median, 902,000 viewers, 902,000 viewers, no million. Yeah, 0.33 in the demo. Um, this was driven overwhelmingly by older viewers in the demo. The younger half of the demo, 18 to 34, was actually slightly down by a few percent. Single digits is a percent. It was down. But in that older half, 35 to 49, me and Gullo, we were tuning in in greater numbers, uh, people of our age. The Phil demographic. It kind of is, isn't it? Would you say yeah. that that is the CM Punk demographic? The people who, I don't know, they're, they're now between the ages of 35 and 49, and they were what? They were the more of a prime age for CM Punk's run in WWE. Yeah. I mean, when he shows up at ECW in 06, so I'm 30, I'm going to be 36. And in, in 06, I was like 20, or no, I, yeah, no, I was 18, 19 years old. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, so I don't know if there's more to analyze there, but that's, that's, Dynamite did a better rating than it's been doing in the last few weeks. This was its best rating, I believe, actually, since February in the demo, in the demo. This was not a spectacular number uh, in total viewership, but it was much better than usual in the demo for Dynamite. Um, NXT. All right. Seth Rollins. Is he a draw? Is Seth Rollins a draw? Nobody, as we know, nobody in wrestling is a draw, especially not in WWE. Well, we're going to put it to the test on Tuesday night on the USA Network, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern against Braun Breaker. NXT on Tuesday night, 773,000 viewers, which is its biggest audience in more than two years. You have to go back to April 2021, so just after the Wednesday Night War ended, to find a rating, an audience that is as big on average as this one was. Uh, if you want to look at the demo, 0.23, it's been since the Halloween Havoc episode in October 2020. October 2020 was the last time NXT did a demo that was this big. Number two in the demo for Tuesday, get this, NXT has never, never ranked as highly as number two in the demo on its night, ever. So big rating here. Um, it was up in demos. We have it on the screen here across the board. I mean, men were up. Men in the demo were up the highest among the demos we're listing here. Uh, listing here. So, but was it really Seth Rollins? I mean, there was a lot on this show. It could have been Dana Brooke and Cora Jade. It could have been Wesley and Tyler Bate. It could have been Chase U. But the quarter hours tell us that that this audience peaked at the end. Um, NXT, unlike all the other shows, has an overrun. The overrun varies in how long it is. It's always under 15 minutes, just about. Uh, this was an eight-minute overrun this week, which averaged, across those eight minutes, 950,000 viewers. 950,000 viewers. In the demo, it averaged a .29 across those eight minutes. Um, the quarter hour eight, so the last, qu last full quarter hour of the show, grew the audience 15%, grew the audience 17% uh, in the demo for the Seth Rollins versus Braun Breaker match. Um, so as far as testing whether Seth Rollins can, at least for one week, pop a big rating for NXT, the answer is absolutely yes. Will we be pointing at the, Will people be pointing at this one week of NXT ratings when Seth Rollins' Hall of Fame discussions start? I'm ready. Seth Rollins was, in fact, a draw. Remember when he popped that big quarter hour on NXT? I'm ready. Um, so I don't... I think... I don't expect for Seth Rollins to be on NXT every week, but I do think that this is a really useful data point for WWE in terms of what they could do with NXT in the sense of if they wanted to, if they chose to do so, they could incorporate more star power to NXT. They could 
intertwine some level of NXT stories onto a Raw or a SmackDown, like we saw Braun Breaker was on Raw this week, and they promoted, you know, Seth Rollins is going to wrestle him on NXT tomorrow night, which probably led to more people tuning into NXT, obviously. Um, but it shows that WWE has the capacity to, we can put some top stars on NXT and it can finish number two in the night. Um, that is something that WWE can do if they choose to do so. Would it be diminishing returns if you did it every week? Probably. But it does show that those tools are at WWE's disposal, which maybe wasn't the case. Because if you go back to the Wednesday Night War era, there was a time where WWE did have a lot of main roster stars coming down and wrestling people on NXT. Famously, Charlotte won the NXT Women's Championship and was down there every week. And the return on those stars going to NXT was relatively minimal, if I recall correctly. Um, and that's not the case now. Now you can definitely see, you know, there's a f- little bit more of a main roster influence on NXT over the last month or so. And ratings have been up. And obviously this was the big one. Seth Rollins, by far the biggest star um, that they've done that with. Coming into NXT wrestling, you know, a young guy who's kind of presented as NXT's ace in Broadbreaker. And you see the results, which is, you know, a very healthy jump in the, in the 18 to 49. And why are they souping up NXT to the extent that they are popping these ratings for NXT with people like Seth Rollins? Does anyone have any theories why this is happening right now? Uh, media rights. Media rights fees. When, when do the NXT media rights fees expire? The current deal for NXT. When does that expire? That's this year, right? This like September. This, fall? this September or October. Sometime in this fall. These These – this deal is expiring very soon um, in the next few months. Mm-hmm. So, And in media interviews and calls and such, Nick Khan has hyped up the idea that NXT is a valuable property. They view it as a third brand, just like Raw and SmackDown. Um, so there's obviously a focus on making NXT feel more important, obviously, and trying to juice the ratings by, by moving some top stars and having them have matches on there. And the returns have been successful, I think. Long term, what does that mean for NXT? What does that mean for if they get a, a, a bigger television deal? Will they be forced to kind of commit more star power to NXT in the future? Um, is it going to revert back to what it was before, which is less focused on developmental and more of trying to focus on just presenting a really strong product that people are going to be invested in? Um, is unclear, but obviously the attempt is right now to make NXT feel as important, as relevant as it possibly can. I think the big question this fall is whether we learn that NXT has been simply extended for a year so that it becomes coterminous with Raw and SmackDown mm-hmm. rights, which are expiring next year fall. Which is also kind of BMO for WWE, right? If you require their next day TV rights were also extended to, right. as you said, coterminously expire at the same time as the Raw and SmackDown rights. So they kind of want to put this bundle together all in, all at once, even if they do end up selling them to different bidders. Yeah, it's probably a question of just what what gives Nick Khan and his team the best leverage to pull the, the best deal for Raw and SmackDown rights. Um, is it does somebody offer them such a good deal for NXT rights that that it's worth committing, or it is does extending it to one year give them additional leverage to make a better Raw and SmackDown deal? Um, and Brandon, what is your suspicion about what WWE is being paid for NXT on USA right now? Somewhere I would, if I were to guess, like fifteen million average annual value, something like that, maybe ten. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty small, relative, obviously, relative to. Yeah, if if we va- I was doing the math last night, like if we valued it at the rate that dynamite is being valued at, it would end up being something like 20, 
fifteen twenty, I think. Um, I just don't know because the the partnership is already there with USA and obviously with the Peacock content. So and the ratings up until lately have not been much stronger than what reruns, what like Law and Order does in, in that time slot. And that's a very interesting data point in the sense of up until about a month ago that NXT's ratings to USA were not that different than what reruns were doing. But in the last month, that's obviously changed. Um, the fact that they could get a you know USA up to number two on Tuesday nights um, this past week is you know, probably pretty alluring in the sense to USA in the sense of what kind of content can we have that will draw ratings and make our, 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 our cable station stronger. Um, it's relevant that in the last month they've seen NXT maybe go from a kind of a net neutral asset in terms of what it would do versus, uh, running a rerun or something like that to something that is, would do significantly better than your typical rerun. And can that number be sustained, uh, over the next few months or could it even be increased? Um, and then if if I'm USA, I want to have discussions all the time with WWE about like, so it's doing great ratings. Wow. This is awesome. We love you. Okay. But is, is this how it's going to be a year from now, two years from now? Convince me of that. If I was USA, I'd also ask the question of why did you change the formula of NXT a couple of years ago to basically remove all identifiable star power from the show and focus on all new wrestlers that often lack experience. And we saw the, you know, the ratings go down. Uh, I would ask that question if, you know, you clearly have the capacity to do more with NXT. Why did we focus? I don't, because if I'm, if I'm USA or NBCU, I don't really care that NXT is a developmental project. Like I don't care about WWE needing to get these guys reps on television. Really. I'm interested in what kind of ratings they can provide. And they kind of intentionally sabotaged the star power of NXT a couple of years ago when they relaunched to NXT 2.0. And I would probably want to know, why did you do this if your intention was to make it a third brand like you're telling me you're supposed to be now? And I think the answer is because Vince and people who think like Vince know best and they thought that the old black and gold at that time vision of of wrestling where you're relying on smaller people who are work rate wrestlers, that's not what's really going to draw and feed the main roster well. What's going to feed the main roster better is people that we can use as blank slates and and draft from, recruit from various sporting fields and turn them into our vision of what a sports entertainer is. And right, that, but the, that they reverted was not, was not uh, supported in the last couple of years. Right. And they were, but they, but when, as ratings have gone up over the last month or so, they've really reverted back to what NXT used to be, which would be, which is heavily focused on wrestlers who are, were trained outside of the performance center. A lot of the times it's smaller wrestlers. Carmelo Hayes is their, is their champion at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it seems like NXT over the last month or so, uh, especially if you go back and look at that takeover card um, from last month, is is much closer to the, you know, kind of super indie promotion than it is the Performance Center promotion in terms of what talent is being highlighted. It's, you know, Carmelo Hayes is the champion, obviously, but you also have wrestlers like Ilya Dragunov and Nathan Frazier and Tyler Bate. Uh, and these well, well, very- but they all came through the Performance Center, though. So they're all WWE trainees. Right. Well, you could have said that back during the, you know, Johnny Gargano and uh, Adam Cole days, too. Yeah, same for that. Too. Uh, they, they, we, we, we trained them. Right. They went to the performance side. But obviously, the f- philosophy is, is, has flip-flopped back and forth. And I think in WWE's mind, the, you know, pushing the, the ex-college athletes and the, the p- true performance center trainees is probably a better investment in the sense of NXT as a developmental project. 
but that has to be balanced with NXT, a business entity and something that you can sell television to. I I would Um, conclude this. It's 10 years since the Performance Center opened in July 2013. My opinion is that there seems to be something institutionally in the way of WWE's Performance Center being able to produce wrestlers who have outstanding value to WWE based on the, the resources that you you have and all the advantages that you have by being WWE, I think it's greatly underperformed in delivering wrestlers versus the value that they've gotten out of people who had wrestling experience prior to coming to WWE. And my conclusion would be that maybe there's something about what we do that just doesn't make us the best creator of talent. Now, that's not to say that we should stop training people altogether and stop recruiting athletes and all that, but to acknowledge, understand, and and work with the fact that maybe there's something about our institution that maybe we can improve or maybe we can supplement to deal with the fact that there's that, that we're just not the best at creating talent from scratch all the time and that there's a lot of other talent that we can pull in and, and get value out of. And even if you look at the last – so NXT 2.0, when did they launch that? Was that last year or was that two years ago? September two, 2021. So we're looking at – close to two years, like a little bit more than 18 months since that has happened on the main roster right now. If you look at the main roster, which one of those like NXT 2.0 names that they, you know, trained in the performance center and started pushing NXT 2.0, who who is having an impact on the main roster right now? That would be one of those people. Austin theory. Right. But you know, the theory is not one of those guys. Uh, but but if, as as far as anybody who's not paying attention to wrestling, which is the majority of the people, I think that their that their business partners are 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 and they're you know what I mean? They they will. Well, tell I'm, the moving, I'm moving past the business part. I'm just thinking. You want to talk real? I'm talking about like a talent valuation, valuation standpoint. You you spent 18 months dedicated to this NXT 2.0 model, training the superstars for tomorrow. And if I look at the main roster right now, who is making an impact on the main roster? That is a true performance center trainee that you know, emerged over the last 18 months on NXT 2.0 and is now on the main roster. Over the last 18 months? I don't know. I'm Bianca Belair, but you're, but that's probably, that's, no, that's before before the deadline you're trying to talk about. Um, I don't know. Right. I think there's a, a small amount of people that are still in NXT that I would say WWE is pretty high on. I would say Braun Breaker. I would say, um, Tiffany Stratton. I would say maybe the Creed brothers, and I think yeah. those people will continue to be Gunther, maybe. But you know, we I, we'd all agree Gunther was trying to talented before he ever set, set foot in WWE. Yeah. I mean, same thing with LA Knight. He might have been there in a little bit of the two right. point no, 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 no. Okay. I'm talking yeah. about like people that were actually yeah. trained by the forums. But side. did they know how to look yeah. in the camera and and work for the camera though? I think Pretty Deadly will become a big deal for them, but that's still fairly new. Okay, right. And I'm just thinking of people who. What are my results 18 months after we started this experiment of NXT 2.0? Where, what are the results so far? Um, and I would say, look at the main roster. Who is making influence, influence in the main roster right now? I mean, I'm trying to think of anyone who's even been called up. It's probably pretty limited. You could say like someone like Zoe Stark, who didn't have a ton of indie experience before coming to WWE, but was around the indie Toxic scene Toxic Attraction got called up. Right, but those are veteran wrestlers, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. All three of them, though? No, the the one that Mandy Rose isn't with the company anymore. Well, yeah, Gigi Dolan is. Like I said, I, I, what I just brought up, I think Pretty Deadly is the only other really example, probably that didn't have they was they didn't have experience before. I don't think did they. Who anyway? 
Oh, the tag team, pretty deadly. Oh, pretty they deadly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, if it, there's also a level of like, there's a difference between a guy like you know a Volter level wrestler signing yeah. with WWE or LA Knight, who you mentioned, like versus you know someone who has uh, maybe a, a years of, of, of scattered indie appearances and then got signed by WWE. So as as a data observation, I want to point out here what I've. I'm just going to affirm my own narrative over the last couple of years. It's just saying that quarter hours are interesting. They're often misleading, especially when it's not remarkably. Wow. Look at, I mean, this, this quarter hour trend that we see here in NXT and the quarter hour trend that we're going to talk about in a minute with SmackDown. These are truly meaningful, undeniable changes in the quarter hours across the show that I have to attribute to the content. Now what's happening on, on a lot of times, uh, especially with the dynamite quarter hours that people hyperanalyze what what we're seeing is differences that I don't find to be particularly meaningful. In the alternative, I would suggest looking at the these charts that I put in the TV ratings reports every every TV show that look at everything by segment. And yes, YouTube doesn't draw a lot of money, but I think it's it's a more reliable indicator of interest than quarter hours often are. My point being here that look, the quarter hours clearly reflect that the Seth Rollins and Braun Breaker match did well. We see that corroborated in the in the YouTube data here where the most viewed YouTube clip for NXT last Tuesday by far is Rollins versus Breaker and then secondarily Hayes re- saves Rollins from a Balor attack which is the post match angle and then even after that Seth, Seth freaking Rollins makes his return to NXT another video which is by far more viewed than the others so if you're looking to see who's a draw which is one of the most important questions that that we can ask in our entire lives the YouTube videos I think tell us a more reliable story than the quarter hours do. Anyway, we're reporting quarter hours and we're reporting YouTube views. The new year is the perfect time to start building credit scores. Because when your credit scores increase, your opportunities do too. Like loan approvals and lower interest rates. Chime makes it easier to keep building your credit with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. You can use Credit Builder everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. Chime helps you build your credit scores safely by using your own money to make everyday purchases and on-time payments. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a $200 qualifying direct deposit. And don't stress, there's no annual fee or credit check required to apply and get started. Start building your credit history and finding new opportunities with the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, every week. Now, here's Roman Reigns looking into the camera directly at Jesse Collins saying, you at home, acknowledge me. Roman Reigns drew another strong quarter hour. And, and the Usos. The Usos did. I don't believe Sami Zayn was was a part of this angle. Last, this is two, now two Fridays ago, June sixteenth. This is the Usos turning, I guess, on Roman Reigns as well as Solo Sokoa. Uh, the final quarter hour grew the audience nineteen percent in total, sixteen percent in the demo. 
The show, which averaged 2.4 million viewers, peaked at almost 2.8 million for the final 15 minutes. Uh, another in what is becoming a preponderance of data points showing how strongly the bloodline angle is performing and is corroborated by YouTube videos that just these two videos for the Uso superkick Roman Reigns and the decision, which is Jimmy Uso making the decision to stay with his brother, Jimmy, just soaring with about 2 million viewer views each for these two videos, just soaring about everything else, which at best had 300,000 viewers below it. So just doing multiple times more views on YouTube than, than the other stuff is doing. So the case for Roman Reigns being a draw continues to get fortified here. Any responses? You're, you're muted, Jesse. You're muted, Jesse. I can't unmute you because you've muted yourself. If you uh, go on the... Uh, I'm curious. I'm, this is just a general question. This is true for all YouTube channels. If you go on like the WWE YouTube page... Um, and like the actual channel itself, like a video, like automatically starts playing. Does that count as a paid uh, YouTube view? Probably counts as a view. That ruins the data, doesn't it? They they probably no, I'm just, put I'm just Roman curious. Reigns up there at the top. You can't count it. Um, it probably no, counts. Yeah, curious. I mean, it's yeah, ridiculous to suggest that 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 the um right the data in the quarter hour, especially week to week, is so overwhelming. And look at this: three hundred thousand versus two million. Right. Um, in the sense of uh that obviously people are interested in it. You know, it's interesting. I think the, we, you, you have the, um, the overnights from, from Friday night. Um, it yes. appears they're going to do another strong rating, right? It's going to be down from uh, this, this past week. Right. It's going to be down from the but 16th, was, but yeah, but, but good still. And, and Reigns was not on the show on this past Friday. Um, it was more centered around, I think like Paul Heyman and the Usos and Solo Sokoa. Um, so it will be interesting to see like week to week, um, like, I don't know when, or I assume Reigns is probably going to be on the show next Friday because that's a go-home show. Uh, just, do they, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm behind. Is there a match announced for Money in the Bank for Roman Reigns yet? They are doing uh, a, bl- there's some gimmick. Attack. It's a tag match. It's, it's a yeah. Bloodline Civil War, I believe, is, is how it's being built. Mm-hmm. Yes. Usos versus Reigns and Solskjaer. Right. So people are obviously, that's probably going to be, he's probably going to be on the show Friday. It'll be interesting to see, you know, Reigns' presence on Friday will what kind of rating that will do in the sense of we've seen it kind of, we saw, you know, really good rating last two weeks, this past episode, probably down going to be slightly without rains. What happens when he comes back? Will the rating go back up? Will it be about the same? Um, did it peak when the Usos finally made their decision? Um, because that's kind of the big moment in turn that people were waiting to see. Um, that's all relevant data, but obviously um, this is the the best period of Roman Reigns' career in terms of being an identifiable draw. Um, it's a huge feather in the, and it's a huge feather in the cap for the Usos as well, who I think emotionally are kind of the pivotal characters uh, in the storyline. So in terms of uh, their, their status as a drawing act, their status as a, as a main event team that can, that can really move business. Um, I don't know if, you know, what their kind of hall of fame resume is going to look like for the wrestling observer. Hall of they, fame. They but that's, this, this is a very notable, um, moment for them in the sense of yeah. is Roman Reigns probably the primary factor for this business? Yes. But at the same time, the Usos are, are really pivotal players and in a lot of ways carrying a bulk of the like emotional storytelling and the investment is in them uh, to a degree. So it's a huge, you know, benefit to them. And I guess Paul Heyman, I mean, as, as a character is obviously very important. Yes. And you can believe that there were some people almost a year ago that were saying some guy named Drew McIntyre should have won the title. When they were in Cardiff, do you remember this? 
Yes. Well, he should have, but uh, that's neither here nor there, right? Would this and, – and people have you know, kicked and screamed about Cody not winning at WrestleMania. Is this all as successful? Is it diminished at all or to what degree is it diminished if Reigns had lost the title in either – either case at WrestleMania or at Clash mm-hmm. of the Castle. It's kind of impossible to prove, so is it worth debating at all? Are, yeah, I, I heard you and my, my you response and John, is it's, it's not, yeah, go ahead. You and John Pollock talked about this yes. on Wednesday um, in the sense of uh, this storyline between like, like the, the bloodline dissolving, right? Roman Reigns does not necessarily have to be champion for it to, to work. And one could argue that it would actually make more storytelling sense if Roman Reigns had lost the title because it would show, you know, be an excuse for broader insecurities that Reigns has to emerge and to become more suspicious and jealous uh, of the Usos. Um, The fact that Roman Reigns still has the championship largely because the Usos and I guess Solo Sokoa have continued to help him retain the title um, throws some level of logical uh, questions towards why would the Usos and Roman Reigns have this problem. But um, largely you could say that Reigns' is, is need to have the title. The Reigns' need to have both titles, not 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 even just one of the titles, but both titles. He's got three titles. titles. He's got three belts. Yeah, I guess he has three titles. <laughs> He's a triple crown champion. Um, um, you know, the need to have the creation of the new title for, for, for Raw and things like that. Um, one could you could easily argue that it's not necessary to the angle. If Reigns, but, Reigns loses the title, then there's no Seth Rollins belt to to give and, and have him go to NXT with. I, I'm being facetious, sort of. Um, if you want to participate, by the way, the super chat, go for it. Um, Forbidden Door tonight uh, in Toronto. Um, we did have a not an earnings call, but a media call with one Tony Khan. Um, there were a few a few items that we can talk about from the forbidden door media call, which happened on Thursday. Um, the, the biggest one, I guess, being that there had been a report um, earlier in the week from Ariel Hawani on the MMA hour saying that, you know, it's, it's been reported reliably that, that Bellator and I believe Scott Corker has confirmed that the Bellator is exploring a sale. Bellator is the MMA company that's currently owned by Paramount, you know, that company formerly known as Viacom CBS. Um, so they're shopping Bellator. There have been reports that PFL, Pro Fighters League, which is another MMA organization, is interested in merging with Bellator. Uh, Ariel Hawani is reporting that the Khan family is interested in acquiring, has looked into it, has looked into acquiring Bellator. Liberty Media also, he mentioned, as another company that's looking into acquiring Bellator. Liberty Media is the owner of Formula One, the Atlanta Braves. Yes. Anything else remarkable? Uh, I think those are the two biggest assets. There's, I think okay. there's like some type of communications thing, but yeah. Liberty One, we highly believe, was it did make a bid on WWE uh, in, in the strategic alternatives process, but obviously did not come away with it. Um, so Tony was asked about this on Thursday, and he says, quote, I was surprised to see that report. I haven't had any conversations with them about that, so I don't know what that was about. My father, Shad, who's Shad Khan, uh, hasn't had any conversation about that either. Of course, he went on to disparage Harry Hawani, continuing his long-running blood feud with Harry Hawani. Um, so that's that. I guess we're not going to see a merged UFC WWE versus a merged Bellator and AEW after all, which seems like a possibility for a day or two there. Uh, so there's that. Other things he said there. Uh, we've already got nine figure revenues. He said this when being asked about the one bill fill line um, 
He said nine figure revenue. So that so that means a hundred million dollars, and that's consistent with like the one hundred million dollars, even very close to one hundred million dollars, even that I believe AEW generated when I did my estimate uh, for twenty twenty two. So not far over one hundred million dollars, but about one hundred million dollars is what I believe they do. He's saying comments that are consistent with that. Um, on the on the subject of one bill, Phil. So Dave wanted to know. Does this does he know something that we don't know? And this is kind of what we talked with Dave about um, on Wednesday. Wondering if does Punk know that there's a TV deal worth a billion dollars? I guess this would be over five years that would would be worth as much as that. That that's within their grasp. Um, and Tony said we're growing and growing and pushing to hit that magic number that Phil referenced. This is one comment that Tony said in the course of a long response, of course, to this question. Um, my my read of that comment again we're growing and growing and pushing to hit that magic number that phil referenced that that tells me that i'm sure tony is aware of the rumors as well of you know with the rumors of several weeks ago where there's oh my god there's a billion dollar deal worth five you know over five years that's obviously not the case now but that this comment tells me that he sees that as something that is attainable would you agree um he was also asked and by Bix. Crunched, when, what's that? When the when the rumor was going around about that number, I mean, we did a lot of discussion and analysis on is that a, a, a possible number that could exist, and I think we determined that it was something that could possibly exist. So, is that a goal? So, is it a realistic goal for AEW to shoot for? I would say yes. It's, Does it have to be a five-year deal, though? Like, do you think it could be over, like, say, for example, seven years, which is a little under one forty-five million a year? Yes. You know, I can so. see it being. I mean, look, the, the W Canada deal is ten years, so I think that, and the yeah. NFL deals are really long, right? Not that, not that we should compare well, much yeah. to the NFL deal, but an ACC deal, I think, was like fifteen years, or something crazy like that. Yeah. Anyway, I could see a, a wrestling deal being longer than five years. And there's also additional components such as could pay-per-views be moving to HBO Max or something like that that could also uh, factor in how much money the, the deal is worth. Right. And next day rights for AEW currently have no owner, no one monetizing them. So that's something that could fit fit on Max and wouldn't even have to be live, obviously, because those would be next day rights. Um, he was asked, Bix asked him why, why Punk said, I'm trying to run a business here at the infamous All Out press conference in September. And, and Tony said, that's just a colloquialism. I own the business, but he's one of the top stars, and he has an interest in AEW being a strong box office business. Bix followed up and said that he had messaged with Tony, and, and Tony made it even clearer that Punk does not have an ownership stake in AEW. So, um, and finally, uh, Stephanie Chase asked him if there were any women in creative. Uh, he, he mentioned Madison Rain and Sarah Stock. Not just once, not just twice, not just not, but, but actually three times. He mentioned their names three times. Does that count as having six women? If you say that you have two women involved in in coaching and in agenting, does that count as having three women in creative? If you say their names, or I'm sorry, six women in creative. If you say their names three times, I don't think so. Okay, it was that was uh, humorous. I thought that he, 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 he was being asked if there were women in creative and he mentioned two women who are, were working as coaches and then mentioned uh, Pat Buck and Sanjay Dutt. And you might've mentioned Brian Danielson I mean, and he mentioned himself and then mentioned Sarah Stock and Madison rain again. I, f- I feel like we have a lot of questions, like a lot of discussions about AW creative and who's in creative and who's writing the show. And, I mean, in general, it, it seems kind of pointless because it, it does seem like like Tony, we know, is, is for all intents and purposes, Tony is the only person who's really in creative. 
And then there are a lot of other people that might have some sort of level of influence. And it could be coaches. It could be the top stars, which Tony has conceded often have influence over their own programs. Um, so you could make a case that there are 50 plus people that are involved in AEW creative, or there's only one person and it's Tony himself. Um, I think focusing on like who's in creative, who's not in creative when we really have no idea how big each individual influence is, is like a meaningless discussion. I think it's, it's a more important question to ask as his, the, the, the amount of content that AEW is creating has I mean, multiplied since the beginning, right? Because gone from being a two-hour show to being having three hours of weekly content to three hours of weekly content and a Ring of Honor show now. Three hours of weekly content, a Ring of Honor show, and a collision show every week where, you know, more, more output, you think, leads to more um, delegation. Uh, Forbidden Door, as of... I believe this was yesterday or this morning. Forbidden Door currently has 13,000 tickets out 13,336 uh they're freeing up some tickets here and there so this is going to be a pretty packed scotia bank arena tonight in toronto um last night for collision about half the crowd 6,358 was the most recent count as we sit here from wrestle i don't think that's a final count it might change a little bit 6,358 again over 13,000 tonight for the pay-per-view so that's where it is. The collision, we got two collisions so far as live events. 9,280 for the Chicago United Center collision. 6,358 for Toronto. And the others are yet to happen. But Hamilton, 17,000. It's no longer under 1,000. It's actually, I guess, doubled since I remember looking at it when it only had 800, even 600. It's now up to 1,700. And Regina is actually lower with about 1,400. And the others, have, you know, Calgary has about 3,600. Newark has about 4,600. Greenville, 2,000. Greensboro, 3,100. So these are doing kind of, some of these are doing dynamite level. In, in the, the ticket movement over the last week for the Toronto show that eventually got to probably around 6,500 or so was, was tremendous. Because um, a few weeks ago, I was like, I can't believe what they were at, like under 2,000 tickets out. And I was like, I can't believe they're so low, given that this is a the day before a major sold out pay per view event that should theoretically have a lot of fans flying in to who who would want to watch this show. Um, so the fact that they got up to what I would consider a pretty strong number uh, is 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 impressive. Um, obviously, like the Hamilton number is still very disappointing, but given that it's they've more than doubled their ticket sales over the last week, um, is valuable. I, I I think there's a lot to kind of my original notion about why the ticket advances were so weak was that people didn't know what collision was going to be. They weren't sure if it was going to be like rampage, which is a largely skippable show with nothing really major or important happening on it. I think so far establishing collision as the CM Punk show. And as the show that, you know, major stars are going to wrestle on and there's going to be matches and angles of consequence. They continue to do that. We'll see ticket sales continue to improve for Collision because fans are going to understand what they're going to get. And it's not going to be a, a B or a C show. It's going to be something that's just as uh, relevant as Dynamite. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's not as important as the TV ratings, but it's you know we're, we're finding out what Collision is. Is it just going to be a, a Rampage level B show that's not really that important, or is there really going to be another show where important things happen? to the degree that they happen on dynamite and they continue to be 
aggressive in terms of what buildings they're running in. They're not running in 3,500 seat buildings. They're in some very large buildings, you know, coming up in Calgary, in Newark, in Greensboro. We're talking about, you know, NBA, NHL sized arenas. Um, I know they announced an upcoming date for the, um, I think they're, they're going back to the Rupp Arena in Lexington or, or is it the Yum Center in, in Louisville? I know they announced a Kentucky date for collision. Um, later this August, but either way, they're going to be in another gigantic building. Like they are not running little, you know, 2000 seat theaters and stuff like that. They are anticipating collision to draw just as well as dynamite. And they're running in the biggest buildings that they can find for the most part. Okay. Do you think, let me ask you this. If you want to talk about uh, the forbidden door ticket sales, do you think that forbidden door should be in a larger venue next year? A lot of that might depend on what ticket sales in general look like. Uh, right. A year from now, but do you think that given that the, the given that they have you know quickly sold out you know your typical NBA sized arena with both the United Center show in Chicago and now the Scotiabank Arena, should they run a bigger venue for the next year? I think about this as a thought experiment. Like if this was this pay per view tonight was at Rogers Center, mm-hmm. how many tickets would they sold have sold? First stadium show AEW's run in North America. Obviously, the Wembley the Wembley show proves at least that people will go to a stadium show because they feel like it's special, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a sense, you um, know this 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 got over thirteen thousand out. Can it? I mean, if this was at Rogers Center tonight in this this environment, this card certainly over twenty, twenty five, thirty. Mm-hmm. And what's the break even point? What is the, um, you know. Would you, and, and where would you run it? I think Toronto, right. which is – this is the first pay-per-view AEW has ever run in Toronto. They've only been in the market you know, really one time before. Um, they also have a indoor uh, arena that is not like a 75,000-seat arena but is like a 40,000-seat arena, which is a pretty rare building. It's really looking at a few other baseball stadiums. Um, You're talking about the Rogers Center? Yeah. Okay. Like kind of like you're not running – you know. The, the Mercedes-Benz Arena in, in Atlanta or the Louisiana Superdome or the, you know, uh, AT&T uh, Stadium in Dallas. You're running like kind of like a uh, – if, where if you put 25,000, 30,000 people, it would look close to sold out as opposed to if you were running a – you know, WWE's doing SummerSlam at Ford Field, right? And that's probably going to be like half-filled or it's going to be a little bit more than half-filled based on the traditional capacity of that building and how many tickets they have out for that. Um which is good if you're WWE and you can do that and you can sell 40,000 tickets. But I'm thinking from like an AEW perspective, you have to have the right out currently for, for, SummerSlam. for SummerSlam. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In like a 65 to 70,000 seat building, which is, again, they've done this the last few years for SummerSlam and it's worked out fine for them. So, um, but I do think like you have to pick the right market. Toronto is a great market for AEW. Um, as evidenced by the fact that they have sold 20,000 tickets over the last, they're going to do 20,000 tickets this week, weekend alone. Um, in Toronto. Uh, what, what would the other markets be? So let's say we've got Forbidden Door next year. Pretty strong card. Yeah, I think this is a much stronger card this year than last year. I think we would all agree on that, right? And let's say well, it's next Tony year. Khan in his, uh, in his, well, Tony Khan well, thinks everything is great at all times. Well, well, I'm saying like last year, the build for the was a mess. People didn't know what kind of matches we were going to get. Um, we didn't even know like if Okada was going to be on the show until like the last day there were injuries. There was uh, maybe some uh, uh, lack of um, communication between new Japan and AEW. And I think, and Tony was talking up big um, 
in the presser, and I think it's that he, he's being truthful in the sense of the, there's much more more of a cohesive build to this show. We've had New Japan wrestlers. When, when, when does the embargo on, on, on the truth open up? About a year later? <laughs> right, but we uh, we get the sense that um, he, what, he said that last year was the most injuries he's ever dealt with in any capacity, including his time, you know, with the Jaguars and Fulham, which is pretty remarkable if you're familiar with the 2019-2020 Fulham Premier League season uh, in terms of how bad the injury situation was for them there. It was the fact that he said that it was worse last year on Forbidden Door time. is pretty impressive. But um, he... uh, I will say there were also other reasons why some New Japan talent was not available. That was not just injuries, but we'll leave it at that. Right. But... um, there's a lot more questions. I mean, this this show, you know, like probably like a month ago, right, um, or at least early June, right during Dominion, we got Brian Danielson versus Okada announced, and we got Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay announced, and so those are your two real marquee matches. Everything else, in a lot of cases, is going to be gravy. But oh, even you know, they've had they've been able to build up those shows. Will Ospreay has been on AEW television, you know. The past two weeks, they've had more New Japan stars trickling in, obviously. On Dynamite this week, they were all over the show. Um, so there's a lot more of a cohesive build for this show. Um, and uh, it's it's done uh, you know, great business from a ticket-selling standpoint, and I would expect the pay-per-view to be pretty strong as well. Um, and as we've discussed before, it feels like a special event in a way that the other four AEW pay-per-views don't because of the New Japan connection because it's really like a dream card of matches um and i think that helps sell tickets i think it helps with getting traveling fans to come to the show it's like if you're going to go to one aw pay-per-view a year you want to go to the one that feels special and this is the one that feels unique and feels special Uh, the wembley stadium show will feel special and unique when it happens again this august but if you're just looking at the calendar forbidden doors the one day of the year where AEW kind of does feel like they have a special event as opposed to the other pay-per-views, which are all very similar. And I think that helps sell tickets. So, um, so I guess the, the, the challenge is if you're going to do Forbidden Door next year, let's say it's, a, it's an equally strong card, mm-hmm. um, equally st- strong macro environment as far as what, what the momentum is of AEW and maybe the wider economy. What market do you pick to run for, Forbidden Door in a stadium if that's what you're going to do? Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that it takes place in June helps in the sense of you're not dealing with um, cold weather uh, for some other cities that you could go into. I mean, New York would be the obvious case. Now, if you're going to New York, you're probably looking at maybe MetLife Stadium, which is probably a very expensive and a very big venue to to fill. Does that affect whether you do Arthur Ashe in September, as has been the tradition? Mm Mm-hmm. So do you I not know. Do I feel it? like they just they'll they'll keep doing it. I mean, Arthur Ashe is you know two or three months removed from Forbidden Door. Um, I would say you could look at City Field. I would say in New York as a potential this venue. Is Brooklyn. It's in Queens. No, that's, that's, that's Shea Stadium. Uh, that's former Shea Stadium. It's the old Shea Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, actually, I don't know where I don't know where where, where City Field is next to relative to where Shea Stadium was, but um, I don't think it's, it's on in Queens. Site. Yeah. Um, but that's a you know that that is a a baseball stadium. You could probably easily do thirty thousand people there and obviously new york is is an awesome market given the size and its proximity to other major markets um google tells me the capacity of city field is forty one thousand eight hundred mm-hmm. for baseball i don't know what that yes. would mean for yes, a for wrestling baseball. show i think this mm-hmm. is the i think there was only are... one wrestling show there actually which was that legends of yeah. wrestling year ago. they did like yeah. a nostalgia show right was it was goldberg on that yeah. show yeah yeah he was but he just did like a run in i was in a similar show 
that was like that in Buffalo. So was Brandon. Actually, <laughs> that was the same type of group. The, yeah. the show we did in Akron. Is that what you're talking yes. about? Okay. Yeah. That same type of group did the, did the show in city field. Mm-hmm. Brian Knobs told me to go out there and kill it. And I did. <laughs> Brian Knobs tried to not pay me. And I told him, no, <laughs> if you, uh, if you look at like other strong markets for AW, obviously Chicago is one of their strongest markets. Um, Soldier Field is a is not quite as big as like a MetLife Stadium, but obviously would be you know a sixty thousand seat venue. Um, you could do Wrigley Field or um, whatever. Uh, Soldier Microsoft. Field. You think is, is Chicago not getting saturated with this stuff? Does it not make it a weaker market for I, to do this? I'm just thing, looking or is it, at the traveling audience. Just sort of yeah. offset all that. I, I'm just looking at uh, who are their what are their best markets that they could go to for ticket selling purposes. Would, would the what, West Coast be too much of a risk because of? Because of yeah. the, I, speaking for myself, I haven't gone to. I went to Las Vegas, but I was not going to go to San Francisco for Revolution because it was just more expensive for me. Being one of the many people who's on the east coast of the United mm-hmm. States, it just makes the the, the travel the barrier right for, and for theoretically be much be very restrictive towards European uh, travelers as well. Flying to Toronto, flying to New York, even flying to Chicago. Maybe you probably get direct flight to a lot of those markets as opposed to man going from like, you know, London to LAX. And that's not going to be offset by the people, by, by the fans traveling from Japan to go Australia, to Australia. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's probably a small, a, a small enough yeah. amount, but we're talking about the traveling fans. It's true. Going, I think one of the reasons Chicago is a consistently strong pay per view market for them is because Chicago is an unbelievably place, easy place to get to. Yes. Um, no matter where you're in the U.S. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's like a, Chicago, Atlanta, and Houston have like, the most connection. So you can get right. Money um, and yeah. Chicago is in the middle of the country. So it's not too far from the West coast, not too far from the East coast within easy driving distance to a lot of, uh, I mean, one of the reasons I think Toronto, despite it being an international market, um, is because Toronto is, is, is really strongly located, not too far from the Midwest, not too far from the East coast. Um, obviously cheaper international flights too. Yep. And Cheap then Toronto, Toronto metro yeah. area is obviously a really large metro area. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking at like places, the fact that you could do it in the summertime makes it less restrictive. If you don't necessarily need to be in a dome, it obviously helps to be indoors from a weather perspective. But you could do a baseball stadium. Um, now you're, it's during baseball season, so it has that. That's a scheduling aspect that would need to be rectified. But plenty of baseball stadiums host um, concerts and stuff during the, the baseball season, so it wouldn't be impossible to get something done like that. Okay, so I guess the conclusion is. It doesn't really matter what the market is if it's if if you're going to draw from people out of the market in and and that I think it, I think it definitely matters to travel to. Yeah, I think it matters to an extent. I wouldn't run it in. Look, it's there's not a reason a huge they have factor because you're 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 relying on. There's a reason they haven't done a stadium. The it's a it, there's a reason that Tony Khan owns a, a a NFL stadium and they haven't run a, a stadium show there. Run it in Jacksonville. But it's, Jacksonville is hard to get to. You'd have to make. I definitely right. Have Jacksonville to make a is play. not a strong market there, for. There's a hotel issue too in Jacksonville. Yeah, like, like when the Super Bowl was there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, Atlanta. I mean, and I, we're talking big domes. I would say that you could get away with like a baseball stadium or even like an MLS. You know, a, a mid-sized stadium um, that you could well, run that seats twenty-five thousand people. What about the West Coast? Now, the, C- the Seattle's MLS team, do they play in the Seahawks stadium? I, I yes, can't remember. They do. Okay. They do. So Portland would be more what I would be thinking of. Like, but Portland. Well, you could also do safe, you could that. do Safeco Field in Seattle yeah. where the Mariners play. Um, that's it. That has a dome. Seattle could be a really good market. I mean, it'd be expensive for East Coast travelers, but. 
yeah, I mean, if you want to do West Coast, you could. Um, could they go to Montreal? Is the Olympic Stadium still open in Montreal? I have no idea. No. Okay. I do have. Uh, I was saying off air. I do not. I was not going to be able to do ELO draft. ELO draft update, but I will. So if you if you haven't listened uh, to an episode we did like a month or two ago, we all picked five wrestlers. The three of us picked five wrestlers who we thought would perform strongly in their ELO, which is a chess rating, would perform strongly in their ELO ratings, treating wrestling matches like chess matches in terms of the scoring. Um, we do have an update, which, yeah, it's about, about a month ago, right? Because I've got this early May. So this, this is about two months ago, I guess. Anyway, um, the, ans- the answer is I'm still beating everybody by a wide margin, which is how we started, right? I, I have Moxley, Okada, Reigns, Shida, Shingo. Gull has Jade Cargill, who's... Who's going to become inactive soon, probably? Uh, Orange yeah. Cassidy, Gunther, <laughs> Hook, Sonata. Jesse has Athena, Camille, Wardlow, Bianca Belair, Nick Aldis. Um, and for people watching, please the video, know the amount the, of the, green on my yeah. Please amount of green. Are, my, are, I'm going to wrap up progress. You 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 also yes. suffered a loss here as Wardlow Wardlow lost the title. Um, I'm guessing that's what this is. Although it should have counted on the 17th anyway. Um, these numbers have not been verified by an independent auditing committee, but Wardlow did clearly suffered a loss recently, probably to Luchasaurus, uh, when he lost the TNT title. Um, Nick Aldis, Nick Aldis is, is starting to, uh, which is a Jesse wrestler is starting to slowly gain. Um, I believe he is number one in TNA though, or I'm sorry, impact wrestling. Um, he's wrestling for the impact title against Alex Shelley. I think that's soon. So it could yeah, be the champ. Um, any other interesting changes here? Um, Orange Cassidy, of course, continue. Orange Cassidy was a good bet as he was, you know, continues to yeah. uh, gain in ELO score as he continues to win matches. I've got I've got no changes in my in my score going way back here, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know if the conditional this conditional formatting is correct. Anyway, I'm winning by a wide margin here, so I apologize for that. Um, anything else to talk about, Brady? Can you take the the the, the listeners to what your schedule is today? Um, I'm going to edit this podcast and get it uploaded and ready to go for the podcast feeds. Um, I'm going to make sure I have everything I need, but it's, it's, I'm just driving. Um, but so I'll, I'll make sure I'm ready to go. I'll get in the car. I'll drive to Toronto, which will take about two hours. Um, I will go to the forbidden poor nearby the arena. I'm gonna have to find parking which is I've anticipated is going to cost me like $15 us or something. And I will, you know, I will park. I will go to the forbidden poor. Probably I will go to the show. Um, I have full disclosure. I have bought a resale ticket. AW will comp me, but I have spent money like 50, $49 on a resale ticket so that they're not giving me gifts greater than $15. Um, I will be at the show. I will probably walk around a great deal and not sit in one seat very much. Um, then I will go to the press conference whenever that starts, probably like 1130 or midnight. And the press conference will probably go well over an hour. And then I will drive home. And I would anticipate being home around 3 or 4 a.m. And wh- Why are you doing all this, Brandon? <sighs> oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to do. And uh, Who are you doing it for? for? For the listeners. For the, the viewers, listeners, the subscribers so who allow me to do this, because it's not f- totally free to, to, to make it there. Um, I have to drive. It's not as expensive as, as flying. Um, I know, but I want everyone to know the kind of dedication and effort Brandon is putting in 
for, for you, the listeners. I want you to put your finger in the air and acknowledge the effort that Brandon there's no, you got you, Brandon, you need to make like the Roman Reigns, like pointing at the screen to the viewer at home face because people want to, yes. should be acknowledging you, but the effort that you're putting into doing everything, do you have to, are you working tomorrow? Working I took a your- day off from my day job tomorrow because I knew that was not going to work. Um, <laughs> I, I, so I, when I went to Las Vegas, I went home and the next day, I don't know, I got home at, at like prime time hours and then I went to work the next day and that was challenging. So yeah, I you always take, take the day off after. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided I'm going to take Monday off. So I do have Monday off. So Brandon, I don't have to get up early on Monday. I wanted to highlight the dedication that Brandon is putting into traveling to going to the show. He's going to be asking questions in the press yeah. conference that are, he thinks are going to be pertinent towards the interests of his listeners. And he suggests the um, questions for, the press conference that you want to give me here. depends who's there um, right if i i have said this, if i was interviewing there. if i was interviewing tony khan i would bring up his um Paulina tweet where he hmm. you know retweeted a, a football aggregator who was spreading a rumor that was not true about one of his Fulham players being a potential uh having a potential release clause in that contract and he said definitively they did not have a release clause on this contract and i'd ask him you must see w, you know, false rumors about your wrestlers and your wrestling promotion all the time. How come you don't take it to social media and equivocally deny them at the same rate? Because I do think a lot of problems in AEW could be avoided if Tony did take that tactic, as opposed to giving non-committal answers to any real serious questions that are asked of him in terms of personnel, in terms of contract situations, in terms of when we're going to see wrestlers again and things like that. Yes. So if, if, if AWPR is listening, now they, that, now they know what to prep Tony for. If you can get him to hold still. I think it's interesting. We're two months out. We really don't know what all in is going to be on yet. So like that, that should be a question to ask, especially that's the next big major event. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, well, all in. What, what, what about all out is supposedly still happening <laughs> yeah. in Chicago. Yeah, but we, it hasn't been announced. We've yet. only heard from Anthony Bowens, right? He's the only one. Yeah, that's it. Like it's, you know, mega Parrick did do an interview on a wrestling podcast, the name ex- escapes me. This is a couple months ago, but she did mention that they are, she mentions it's sort of in passing that, yeah, we're going to the UK. And and then just a week later, I'm not quoting her directly, but she said something to the effect of then a week later, we're going to be back in the US for all out. So it's, I have, I believe it's happening. I expect it to be in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But I've got a, yeah, why, I've got a hotel why not flight announce, booked. Why, why not announce it? They, yeah, I mean, they've usually announced the next pay-per-view right after the current pay-per-view, right? Mm-hmm. I think they've, so like, I, I remember t- at the press conference for full gear, Tony sort of looking to Raphael Morphy and saying, basically saying, yeah, we can, we can announce the chase center for, for revolution. He was like, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> so something like that. So that's right. sort of when that was confirmed. And I guess in terms of selling tickets to all out, I'm, I don't think they're particularly concerned about like, they, they feel like they can probably announce it with less of a build up towards it and still sell, you know, 10,000 tickets to the, uh, um, what's the building that they run in now? It's, it's the old Sears Wind Center, Trust? right? Uh, no, now it's not Trust. Now Arena. The Now Center, yes. yes used to be the Sears Center. Arena. Used to be the Ro- used to be like the Rosemont Horizon uh, Center. The Now Center is is not the Rosemont Horizon. Oh, it's not. The Rosemont Horizon is no, now it's the different. Yeah. Arena. Yes. Oh wow! Yeah. So that we're talking about a fourth arena now in Chicago. Yeah. So so now is way out in in like the suburbs in Schaumburg. Yeah. And Allstate Arena is closer to Chicago, but it's not actually in Chicago. It's in Rosemont. Yeah. And the, the United Center is downtown they, they, Chicago. But, but all out. Wind Trust is something else. Yeah. I think it's all in out takes place at the Allstate Arena. 
No, AEW has never run the Allstate Arena slash Rosemont Horizon. All Out and All In both took place at at the Now Center, also known as the Sears Center. Wow, I got to get my Chicago venue straight. Um, I'm also planning. I'm planning on going to All Out Chicago. I'm planning on going to SummerSlam Detroit. I'm planning on. This is my my latest idea. Is that so? All Out will be in Chicago that Labor Day weekend. WBD just announced payback in Pittsburgh. So my plan is to to drive to Pittsburgh, fly to Chicago, fly home. Be a rental car involved in that. So that's that's my current plan. We'll see how that all plays out. Um, anything else? Um, once again, if you are not a subscriber yet to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, if you want to listen to this podcast every single week, subscribe to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You will get to continue to listen to this podcast every single week in both audio and video. It will not be available to free listeners any more than one week a month, uh, beginning July 9th. So we will be back for everybody for free on YouTube on the WrestleNomics podcast feed. But this is the last episode that is of WrestleNomics Radio that is on the post-wrestling feed. Pollock and Thurston continues to be widest possible distribution for everybody on both post-wrestling on WrestleNomics going forward. So that's what's happening there. Thank you all for listening. Um, talk to you next time. I'll, I'll be at the press conference. Maybe you'll, you'll hear me there, but otherwise I'll be back with John Pollock next week. I guess I'll say we're, we're going to talk to Mike straw. That is our current plan to talk to Mike straw, who is a video game reporter, um, also from Buffalo and longtime friend of mine. Yeah. Mike straw. Good guy. There, there you go. And this will be just after AW fight forever has been released. So he will have played the game by then and we will discuss it and whatever that means for AW and wrestling business. Talk to you then. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.